Hello, today I am joined with, I'm joined by rather, one of my colleagues who is a, a podiatrist that's based in Harbour. Tosif, say hello. Um, hi, Abid. How are you? I am, I'm surprisingly good considering what's happening. How are you getting on with this COVID-19 pandemic? How are you finding? Um, I'm not doing too bad. Um, I've been enjoying the sunshine uh, the last few days. Uh, kids are keeping me busy as well as uh, I am seeing patients on uh, virtual consultation. So yeah, oh, I've got plenty to do. How are you finding that virtual consultation with patients? Um, it's been very helpful, especially for my uh, musculoskeletal patients. I've just come off uh, uh, a call from uh, one of the patients who had tibialis posterior tendon dysfunction, and uh, we were able to see his, him doing the exercises and stuff, and I can, uh, I can um, do the plan. Okay, let me ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot, because okay. I, I know you like me putting you on the spot. Um, maybe two things that you are really missing during this COVID-19 pandemic. Two things that you um, really do. I, I'm, I, actually, two things that I'm really missing. Number one is patience, uh, that patient interaction. And number two, got to be the feet. Feet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I am missing going to the gym uh, and I'm missing Starbucks. Obviously, patience, but I'm missing those two things. Um, today, we, me and Tosif are going to be talking about injection treatment within podiatry. Um, I'm not quite sure where this is going to go, which is going to be good because we like a bit of controversy, don't we, Dosti? Um, controversy is good. Can you see my screen? Yep. All right. So we're going to be talking about injection treatment within podiatry. However, we're not going to limit it to just injection treatment. We're going to be talking about a few other things as well. It's going to be a general overview rather than an in-depth um, in-depth um, course rather. So the first thing I want us to talk about, and I think Tosif would agree with me, uh, the Faculty of Pain Medicine, Royal College of Anesthetists have given the following guidelines, that injections must not be undertaken in individuals with active COVID-19 infections, but the potential arises to do harm to individuals who may be incubating or later develop COVID-19 symptoms. Now, with everything, we have to have a risk to benefit ratio. Um, I am currently not doing any injections uh, that I would normally do, and I normally do a hell of a lot of injections. Um, how about you, Dosif? Are you Have you stopped all injections? I have. Um, I've actually um, closed my clinic down for, uh, I've been closed for three weeks, and I'm intending to stay closed for another uh, three weeks, and after that, um, I'll open up. So yeah, I'm not doing any injections myself and I think I'll be reviewing these guidelines as soon as we open to see uh, what we can and what we can't do. So I had, I had quite a few steroid injections booked in just before the lockdown and I decided to cancel them because uh, ultimately I, before, before this uh, guidance was released, I knew that there may be an impact with a steroid injection and COVID-19. Um, so that just gives you an overview that we're not currently doing injections, but um, me and Tosif will be returning back to doing injections as well as other, other treatments uh, after hopefully COVID-19 pandemic is over. Now, the types of injections that podiatrists offer within podiatry, 
Um, I'm, I'm going to briefly go through them and then I'm going to talk to Tosif about them. That, um, the common ones are dipomedron, which is like a steroid. The other steroid uh, within, that, within this image is canalog. We've also got anesthetic there, ostanil, uh, sodium chloride, and biotherapeutic agents. Uh, Tosif, do you, do you tend to use dipomedron? Within um, so looking at that picture, um, some of the things which I tend to use is uh, dipomedron, um, bupivacaine, which is local anesthetic. Um, I use two different um, ones, which are my favorite ones, and we use them in podiatry as LAs, bupivacaine and mupivacaine. Mm -hmm. um, one of the main reasons uh, bupivacaine lasts uh, a bit longer, longer onset, but it takes, uh, it just weighs off. Uh, it, it gives you the longer uh, period of uh, time that the foot stays numb. Um, mupivacaine, uh, that's a bit more of a faster um, onset as well as it doesn't last as long. Um, ostenil, ostenil injection is something which I am introducing to the clinic myself because uh, there's some growing evidence with regards to ostenil tendons, ostenil mini for uh, big toes, um, as well as ostenil injections for the knees, um, knees as well. Dibomedron is another one which is, I, I suppose in all three of them, Dibomedron is the most commonly used injection in my clinic. Um, I use all of those injections, um, including the biotherapeutic in, in, uh, injections. The one that I don't like to use anymore is ostinal tendon. Uh, I didn't, I have not, in my experience, uh, when I've used it, I haven't found it um, beneficial. I think there are other options that we're going to speak about a bit later on in this presentation that I think are more suited to a tendinopathy. But this just goes to show that the wide array of options that podiatrists have uh, within our scope. Now, I'm going to put a proviso in here. Um, Kenalog is, uh, we can only access if we have a patient-specific directive. So when I use Kenalog, I get an independent prescriber to prescribe it for myself, for that patient, and then then we use catalog. However, me and Tosif are soon going to become independent prescribers because we are doing course. Are we not, Tosif? Of course we are. Yes, we are. You are definitely doing with me because you're going to sit my exam. We've both applied for uh, the. We've both applied for the course uh, already, haven't we? That's right. We are looking for. I mean, that would be the next step for us. Um, so. As you said before, um, we tend to use Dipomedron, which is methylprednisolone. Mm -hmm. If you can see my cursor, can you see my cursor on screen? I can. Yeah. So we tend to use methylprednisolone. Um, there are other um, other steroids, but that's the one that we tend to use. I think in podiatry world, uh, um, I haven't seen anybody else uh, anybody using other. Uh, yeah, much. It's uh, Dipomedron is the go-to steroid injection for us, oh, isn't it? For soft tissues and ligaments, and um, but for I mean, I find that um, Canalog Prime Similon is more suited for intraarticular. So if you've got um, issues within a joint, um, it, 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 it may be more suited. Sometimes I have, with a patient-specific directive, used Prime Similon um, for uh, tarsal tongue syndrome, but use a very small amount, and I've got. Um, but it's really dependent upon the patient. Um, we obviously, I mean, both me and you, we take a lot of history from our patients. So 
the most common contraindications, the reason why we wouldn't give an injection is obviously if there's an infection there if you're allergic to drugs, um, if you've got trauma, recent trauma, diabetes, uh, coagulation disorders. Is there any others that you may want to add to that, Dosif? Um, blood pressure, it can actually have a short-term effect on uh, blood pressure as well. Mm -hmm. uh, diabetes is fairly short-term as well. Hopefully, um, we give it in, um, in feet, which is very localised, and the quantities that we tend to use doesn't really have uh, a massive effect anyway. It is the contraindication for, the, um, for steroid injection anyway. Very true. And actually, um, for all of those injections that we are talking about, um, the main, I think the main contraindication is obviously taking the, taking the case, taking their, uh, taking their like medical history to one side. If they've got psychological issues with needles, I would never try and force a patient into having an injection because um, you really need the patient to be calm while they're having an injection. There are many, many other options, which we're going to speak about, me and Tosif, um, apart from injections. So if the patient doesn't want an injection, it's fine. There's, we can find another option. Um, we're going to start talking about individual conditions. Now, let me get one second. Come back. First MTPJ arthritis. Now, it's my little foot. This is what happens to my patients that don't pay my fees. Anyway, <laughs> um, this is something that me and you see a lot of, don't we, Tosi? Absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, um, doing rheumatology um, in the hospital meant that um, joint arthritis is uh, something which I'm very familiar with. Um, be osteoarthritis, be it rheumatoid arthritis, uh, um, usually affect big toe as well. So, so yeah, I, I suppose in, in feet, um, big toe joint is one of the most commonly affected uh, joint uh, with regards to osteo as well as uh, rheumatoid and uh, stuff like that as well. So, in your experience, how have patients responded to having an injection within this joint? Uh, Rheumatology patients respond really well uh, because uh, the condition uh, dictates uh, the inflammation of the joints uh, anyway. Mm, uh, they respond really, really well. Uh, mild to moderate sort of osteoarthritis um, patients respond really well to a steroid injection as well. Um, the Ostnil Mini, um, you talked about Ostnil, uh, um, you're not a big fan of Ostnil tendon uh, injections. Now, I haven't done many for me to kind of per, uh, talk about from the personal experience point of view. However, uh, to what I actually read up on is that if you use ultrasound guided injection and you get it right to where you want it, you need to get it to, um, the, the efficacy improves. Um, but I suppose that that's like with anything, isn't it? I mean, I, okay, first of all, uh, I think I'm sure Tosif would agree. This wouldn't be our first line of treatment, as with any. Um, so we we would be looking at. I would be looking at robotics, um, uh, footwear advice, maybe um, a modification of uh, activities. Uh, and the, if if the patient's a runner, I would definitely try and get them into hulkers, uh, and um, try and get them some orthotics. However, all of that being said. I think there is a place for injection treatment for, for, S, for, for first MTPJ um, problems. You mentioned gout, definitely. I've, I tend to aspirate first 
and then inject. I use Austinum Mini, and I love Austinum Mini for first MTPJ joint um, injections and Depomedron, obviously. Um, I, uh, we, I'm sure we, we both use ultrasound guided, which is great because um, it, yeah. it basically enables us to hit the spot. I'm not, I'm not going to go into detail about the injection, but we do use a quite a fine needle for this. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I think um, steroid as well. Osnil, I, I don't know about which gauge needle that you use, but I generally tend to go with fairly finer needle and take my time um, injecting. Mm. I mean, you can see that on, on the right-hand side of the screen uh, uh, via ultrasound, you can actually get right into the spot. And it can give patients 12 to 18 months of pain-free activities. One of, one of the things that I'm often asked is, how long is this injection gonna last? Um, and it's, it's really strange that you, you, how you can put a time limit on it. So some, some patients can go 12 to 18 months and they can play golf, football, or whatever else they need to do, and they maybe need a top-up injection. Some people only need one injection because they're gonna, they might do um, rehab, they might do, they might use orthotics and they might have a change of footwear and they may not need further injections. Have you found the same thing? Yeah, I, I think uh, the how long it will last is very individual to the patients. Um, for some patients, it might not benefit them or it might not last for a very long period of time. Uh, for some people, that's it. They just need one injection and um, they're absolutely fine. Uh, in, in a year, steroid injections, you can have like um, two, three, possibly four pushing it um, in a year. I, I, I generally don't do more than two in a year, but I mean, you can, yeah. I've seen other... My, my magic number is around three, um, depending on the symptoms and um, uh, what we're actually presented with, especially with the rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, um, it, it just changes that a little bit. Uh, uh, because uh, it's an uh, inflammatory condition and uh, hence why uh, you're not going to cure it with the uh, with an injection. All you're trying to do is just maintain the symptoms and manage the symptoms. Um, Ostenil Mini, um, I like to do Ostenil as like three, um, three single injections to start off with and then as a top-up I'd probably use Ostenil Mini Plus but I have started uh, injecting Austin Mini Plus as, as a first-line therapy as well. So it's, it's quite strange, you know, well, it's quite interesting rather, because we're both uh, practitioners and we're both very experienced and we both have different protocols. So I don't, I tend not to do a series of injections, I tend to do a series, like, like a single injection. However, both protocols can be highly effective, uh, is, is really dependent upon the individual practitioner. I'm going to move on to Morton's Neuroma now. First of all, explain to our viewers what kind of symptoms will a patient get with mortis neuroma? It's a typical uh, nerve-related uh, problem. So tingling, numbing, sharp shooting pains are uh, quite evident and uh, quite prominent in mortis neuroma. Tight shoes uh, elicitate the symptoms. Activities can actually elicitate the symptoms. I can safely say that uh, people who are suited booted and uh, in their uh, uh, like brogues and really tight smart shoes are often uh, the patients that I tend to see who come in with motor neuroma. Or when you've got ladies that are wearing really high heels. Um, absolutely. Yes. Here. 
that, that can lead to it. The symptoms, I mean, generally with Morton's neuroma, you'll get it just in between the metatarsals. You'll get this burning, sharp pain, shooting pain. Um, that picture that you see there is not a classical site of a Morton's neuroma. That's in between the second and third. Normally, it's between the third and the fourth. But, um, Torsif, uh, me and you still wouldn't use generally injection of the first line treatment. Now, what do you tend to do for the mortis for if a patient presented with four foot pain, they've got this sharp burning, they've got electric shots shooting up after you've diagnosed them and you've gone through all the different things that it can be and you've thought, okay, so more with neuroma, what's the first line treatment? So typically for me, um, it just uh, initially I look at their function, I look at their footwear, I look at um, uh, what's basically diagnose it. Um, Footwear modification, uh, footwear changes is one of the key ones and the, one of the main ones. Uh, orthotic therapy is highly effective uh, when it comes to motor neuroma, um, especially early stages, uh, you can manage that quite well. Um, usually that's more than enough uh, to manage the symptoms as well as prevent it uh, from a long-term sort of problem with regard to motor neuroma. However, um, steroid injections tend to do a really good job of it um, if it's... Uh, if neuroma is enlarged and uh, um, cannot be managed by just footwear and uh, orthotics. Do you so do anything? I, I, would do some, I would do very similar to you. I would add in an extra thing though. So I would definitely change footwear. I would almost definitely recommend orthotics. And I think just raising up the underneath the neuroma and maybe a pad just to offload it is great. Um, I would also look at the calf muscles. The calf muscles were very tight. I may give calf stretches. However, I like high volume image guided injections for a mortis neuroma uh, or a steroid injection. Because you can actually see the needle going into the, into the neuroma and you just blast it away. And it's, it's almost instantaneous. But it's, as Tosif said, um, it's not my first line of treatment. Sorry, I, I interrupted you uh, while you were talking. No, no. Um, that I, I don't do the high volume. Uh, but uh, for me, um, steroid injection does do a very decent job of uh, uh, let's move to the next one which is plantar fascia injections hey heel pain okay let me go let me I mean, we can do another video on heel pain alone and I think me and Tosif will because it's something that we see a lot of there are many different causes of heel pain plantar fascia plantar fasciosis plantar fasciitis is one of them but generally speaking, the classical symptoms you will get is you'll get intense pain when you first wake up in the morning and after periods of rest, be a, but that will calm down uh, and it'll be a sharp shooting pain um, that will start where that green dot is actually. Oh, I've just moved it. Where that green dot is, uh, and then it will shoot up to your arch as well. There, there, are, many different, there are many different treatments for plantar fasciitis. On the left-hand side of the screen, you'll see shockwave, PRP, there isn't a great amount of evidence for PRP for plantar fasciitis, but if you it's it's well, there's like a growing evidence base on it. I think it's more suited if you if it is chronic uh, and it's been going for a couple of years and you've tried other treatment uh, modalities and including other treatment options, including injections, and it hasn't been effective. Um, steroid is the go-to. I think there's a lot of 
evidence regarding it, even though some of, like in the past couple of years, we've had mixed evidence, but I still think there's a great deal of evidence. And from speaking to yourself and other practitioners that do a lot of plantar fasciitis injections, um, anecdotally, uh, we've had great, great results from it. And prolotherapy is like a mixture of glucose and local anesthetic. But we'll see if it's not our first, it's, it's not our first line of treatment, is it? Not at all. Um, with with um, anything, I think any treatment, um, we start off with conservative management, um, of course, uh, after assessing and diagnosing um, with the plantar fasciopathy, we often follow the uh, strengthening rehabilitation uh, program, um, orthotics for uh, the comfort and uh, pain relief, um, self-management uh, of patients, uh, footwear modification, um, all these things come before uh, we think about steroid injections or any any injections. Uh, uh, shockwave therapy is proving to be, um, again, there is a growing evidence with regards to the shockwave therapy and the heel pain and plantar fasciopathy. Uh, steroid injections, when and uh, when would I do them and what sort of stage that I personally do them uh, in um, the heel pain uh, patient? Um, I, if I've tried uh, the exercises and they've got orthotics and they're, uh, um, they're uh, progressing with these things and they're not making any improvements or if the pain is so severe, that they're, they're unable to kind of walk and they're unable to do the exercises, they're unable to perform the rehabilitation plan that we've actually set for them. That's when I usually come in with a steroid injection and that provides a really nice buffer in terms of pain reduction, allowing them to do the rehabilitation, getting on with the rehabilitation process. I always explain to the patients that it is not the treatment, it is aiding your rehabilitation process uh, for your um, plantar fasciopathy. Um, and yeah, I've had, um, I've had great success with it. Uh, there are some, uh, I was gonna ask you the, this, uh, that uh, there is some evidence. Um, for me, it's really old evidence uh, to say that uh, steroid injections can cause uh, um, ruptures and uh, side effects uh, for the plantar fasciopathy. What's your uh, take on it? I have done thousands of plantar fasciitis, plantar fasciosis injections, steroid injections. I've yet to have somebody rupture on me. Uh, I, I've had, I haven't had any side effects, touch wood. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I haven't had any side effects. No. I, I would say this, okay, so if a patient comes to me and they are unable to either do the activity that they want to do or they are unable to work without being in excruciating pain, I may, I may combine uh, um, orthotics and rehabilitation and a steroid injection straight away rather than going through it incrementally. And I'll tell you why. So I have like a heel pain like pyramid. I always say that all three stages, all three sides of this pyramid are equal. Um, rehabilitation is my foundation that everybody as you know and you do the same everybody yeah. gets rehab. almost everybody gets orthotics and the orthotics are um enables oh, sorry i've got something i've got the same yeah, been a out of time soon, so we'll have to restart it in a minute uh, orthotics are a basic are, um, are something that i think i recommend to most people and steroid injections 
or an injection therapy, but shockwave treatment can be highly effective for this. Um, what I'm going to do is... Um, sorry to interrupt, uh, that mostly the previous evidence which I came across with regards to shockwave was on chronic, but I think there is some more... Mm, uh, there's some more evidence coming uh, with regards to the acute cases of plantar fasciitis as well. Yes, I mean, it's very effective, but I don't think you need three sessions. I think in my experience, I do shockwave, you need six, seven sessions for it to be effective. Um, so that means you need to come for six, seven weeks. Some patients are fine with that. Other patients, if they've got a busy lifestyle, they're not going to be so fine. I think we're going to run out of the time on Zoom. So what we'll do is, I'll stop it here. We'll carry on doing it. I'll stop the video here and then we'll come back to it in a minute. Um, Abid, I, I think, uh, I think um, they've just said that they upgraded it. So that means that uh, we can carry on until uh, it stops. Hey, there you go. Learn something. This is, this is a new COVID-19 world. We're having to talk. I can't even see my friend. I have to talk to him virtually uh, with, these, with these handsome good looks. All right. Sinus tarsi and ankle infringement. This is so interesting. Absolutely so interesting. Something that we see a lot of. This is my patient's foot. The pain will be on the outside of the ankle. And there'll be a chronic, it'll be very difficult, especially when they're doing certain movements. Ankle impringement often occurs to footballers. So a footballer that's kicking the ball constantly, constantly kicking the ball. I might send them off to have an MRI and uh, we might find that there is um, uh, osteochondral defects. So there might be areas of the talus that are causing an ankle infringement. Um, I don't know if you do a lot of uh, ankle injections, or see. Uh, um, sinus tarsi injections for me uh, predominantly was for my rheumatology patients. Um, for rheumatology patients, the way it actually went on is that uh, rheumatoid arthritis leads to acquired adult flat foot deformity, yeah. uh, meaning that the feet becomes like, uh, um, over the time, they just keep becoming flatter and flatter and flatter. So that leads um, to like the lateral impingement of, uh, of the ankle. And I quite like these injections because they're very successful. Because as soon as you've injected uh, um, a decent amount of volume in there, um, that's it. It just opens up that, uh, that, that um, yeah, definitely. It just opens up that area. And it, uh, it's very rewarding injection for me, basically, because uh, you've done it and it gives good results and uh, patients absolutely love it and uh, um, they can get on with uh, doing the things that they need to do. Let me add a proviso, and I'm sure Atosif will, will also agree with me. As with everything else, I would probably give orthotics with a heel raise. Um, yeah, um, normally, about, normally about six, seven mil, actually. I'm, I'm quite high because um, you, you want to try and... Um, allow the ankle a bit more movement. That works well, but I would completely agree with Dossi. These are, these, it's a very simple injection to do, and it has a very high success rate. Obviously, there'll be the odd patient that it won't work. I have like a 95% success rate with this. Um, and I'm a big fan of high volume injections. So I'll, I tend to do really high volume injections with this. Um, my, my steroid of choice, tends to be Depomedrum, but I have done Kenalog with a patient-specific directive for it. I've done Trumeal and um, I've done pleurotherapy for this as well. I actually think it doesn't matter what I inject into here. As, as, as long as, I, yeah. I think, I yeah. think 
and even if I inject LA, because yeah. I have injected LA as well uh, uh, oh, in that okay. space. Um, what I was going to say is that um, orthotics uh, that you mentioned is, is a really good option. Um, what I found in my patient, my specific patients, is that they weren't very good at tolerating uh, the orthotic or uh, um, uh, we call these uh, uh, devices as, um, it's gone out of my head. You have accommodative devices and then you have okay. functional devices. So, so the functional devices, they just cannot accommodate. So for me, uh, often this can be like a very early on sort of um, therapy that I tend to use for my patients. I think, I think this, so this would depend upon the demographics. So if you were treating an older patient who's a rheumatoid arthritic patient, they would struggle with a functional orthotic. My yeah. demographic tends to be, I see a lot of footballers, for example. Um, this would, I mean, I, they almost always get an orthotic with a heel raise and they get this injection. And then I try and get them out of the orthotic slowly. Um, so it's not, uh, and um, Tosif would say the same thing, I'm sure. An orthotic generally is not for life, apart from a, a narrow band of patients, right? Yeah. There are a narrow band of patients for a variety of different reasons, structural problems generally, or they've got like neurological problems um, that have to constantly wear them. But generally speaking, anathotic is not a magic bullet, nor is an injection. Everything is combined, but you, but, but like, but like, I'm sure you would agree with me on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, uh, some of, uh, again, coming back to rheumatoid arthritis, uh, um, again, is that if they have a condition like rheumatoid arthritis, which is not going to um, improve or which is not going to uh, completely heal, uh, they will need that continuous support for uh, the rest of their life. Uh, but uh, for most of my active patients, um, if I use an orthotic therapy to aid with my re treatment plan, um, it is, uh, it's very much uh, short-lived. As soon as we're um, good to go and the pain, uh, they're pain-free, uh, we tend to remove the orthotics and um, let them carry on with it. Cool. Let's move on to the next one. Perineal tendinopathy. <laughs> Something we see a lot of. So, 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 so. Um, Ashley just made a video that I'm going to release next week about ankle sprains uh, and rehab, four stages of rehab, which Dorsif is going to share on his page. But ankle <laughs> sprains. <laughs> what you produce of it, what you produce is little gems, not just for the patients, for the podiatrists as well. And uh, I think we all learn from you. I, I uh, so I'd be more than happy to do that. So a lot of patients, let me come back. So if you sprain your ankle, you, it goes over like that, as you can see. And the mechanism of injury is generally like that. You get a lot of swelling and pain on the outside of the ankle. What can happen? I mean, there's a lot of structures here that we are not going to speak about because that's another video that me and Tosif are gonna do about lateral ankle instability, which I'm gonna force you to do. But one of the things that can happen is perineal tendinopathy. Now you've got two perineal muscles, tendons that attach. Sometimes, sometimes they get damaged after an ankle sprain, or if you've got either very high arched feet or very flat feet. The first thing that we do is not an injection, is it? What's the first thing that we do? Um, with tendinopathies, um, I am a lot more 
uh, cautious and I'm a lot more careful when it comes to doing the injections for the tendinopathies, be it uh, perineal tendinopathy, be it Achilles tendinopathy, um, or t uh, posterior tibial tendinopathies. Um, generally, I think uh, um, a rehab works really, really well for what the tendinopathy. Kind of, what kind of rehab would you first do for a perineal tendinopathy? So, in terms of the loading, loading is absolutely necessary. Can you explain, uh, to, can you explain to those that don't know what loading is? What's loading? So loading is when you actually um, move the tendon. So you put the weight through the tendon is, is what the loading is. Um, there are different types of loading and uh, um, early on I probably will use isometric loading where uh, you're not moving the tendon but you are putting the weight through the tendon. Give me an example of an isometric tendon uh, holding uh, load. So uh, a fairly simple one would be if you basically press against the wall and just hold it there or as, a, as a, like E version of the foot. Or like the foot okay. yeah. 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 So, so that would be my, if the tendon is painful. Uh, but if tendon can actually tolerate the movement, um, I start off with the uh, eccentric, which is the lengthening of the tendon. Yeah. Um, that would be my first line. And then I would basically get onto the lengthening and the shortening, uh, eccentric and concentric, and then um, as we move uh, further to that. So, I mean, for me, as Dosif said, um, antibiotic therapy uh, uh, to offload um, uh, to offload the tendon to allow it to heal, basically. So, for me, as Dosif said, um, rehab is probably my first line of what I always do. Um, I tend to my my like approach differs slightly. To that uh, and it depends on what stage they come to me so depends mm -hmm. on where they are how long has it been since their ankle sprain and what their current function is and what they want to get to so if they just want to walk there's certain things if they want to if they want to run or play a sport I'm focusing on different types of loading movement uh, orthotics we do we give insoles that have got a wedge on the outside of the heel and outside of the forefoot to try and alleviate some pressure now, that being said, I, th I do a lot of injections for perineal tendinopathy uh, and for lateral ankle uh, instability, depending on what is damaged. I always, always do them ultrasound guided and it's always, it's always um, not my initial plan. I, it's always later on that I do it. Unlike plantar fasciosis, heel pain, I'm, I, may, I may give an injection depending on their symptoms uh, as an initial treatment, but but I very rarely do it for perineal tendinopathy. But I find that um, a very small amount of injection because you can get tenosynovitis. That's, um, that's what I'm going to come to. Yeah. Is that uh, when you're injecting, the aim is to kind of uh, um, inject uh, the tendon sheath yeah. um, and to be able to get there. Um, <clears throat> blindly is really really difficult Not doing it. Not doing and uh, the evidence with regards to tendon ruptures with the steroid especially is there so hence why when uh, i think about uh, injecting the tendons um, it's important that you do it guided with an ultrasound so you know exactly where you are uh, and depositing i suppose uh, uh, depositing in uh, tendon sheet uh, improves that um, improves the it, it actually moves I tend to be fair I tend to use zeal and chlorotherapy a lot more for um, for lateral 
ankle injections, and that's just a preferential thing. It's not. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just find uh, in my hands, zeal is more effective, which is like a homeopathic herbal injection. Very effective. It can do. It can have the same. It has the same therapeutic outcome as a steroid injection, but with far less possible side effects, which is why uh, I'm a great advocate of it. Is there anything that we need, is there anything else that we need to speak about regarding perineal tendon? I think uh, osteomyelitis uh, tendon is another uh, a good one. I know that you probably aren't a big fan of it, but uh, I think it, that quite helps with the shock absorbance um, and uh, lubrication of the tendon. Um, so again, it's a new phenomena and uh, there's more, uh, uh, more research coming on it, but I quite like that. Okay, so next one. Posterior tibial dysfunction. Now, you yeah. see, this is something that we see a lot of. Now, that yeah. gentleman is pointing to where the discomfort is or where the posterior tibial tendon runs. The posterior tibial tendon is a very powerful tendon. You would often get pain around there uh, moving into the arch, so you where the end of that red line is, and and that yellow line is, so you can see that you can see that that is marked out with the anatomy is marked out there. Um, as with everything else that we've spoken about, it's not the first line treatment. Orthotics and rehab are always the first line, tri line treatment for posterior tibia dysfunction. Um, injection treatment is an option. Um, in the right hands. Now, uh, if, if any patient is watching this, um, you make sure you choose the podiatrist very carefully who's going to do this injection. There's only a few of us, well, not a few of us, but there's, there's not many podiatrists that can really do this well, in my experience, okay? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not casting aspersions on my fellow colleagues, but I know this is a very difficult injection to do. Uh, do you have any, I mean, uh, I'm sure yeah. you would agree with me, but is there, is, is there anything else that you want to add? Well, yeah, I, I think it's a very difficult injection and uh, has to be done um, as ultrasound uh, guided yeah. injection. And uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, you want to be seeing pay, um, a person who has experience in doing these sort of injections rather than anybody and everybody. Mm, we talked about orthotics and uh, when would you use the orthotics uh, for a bit more for as a long-term uh, thing. And the uh, TIPOS patients are uh, one of the key candidates who tend to require that um, for a long-term as an orthotic. Yeah, uh, although that being said, I try, unless there's a tear in the tendon, unless there's an intrasubstance tear, because with the intrasubstance tear, I have, I have with a patient-specific directive, used uh, glucose mixed with the local, uh, mixed with local anesthetic, and try to inject it into the tendon, and I've had great results. But mm -hmm. uh, rehab for this is is so important. Uh, getting that tendon stronger is really important. But orthotics as a long term treatment option for this uh, is it is 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 quite essential actually. Um, yeah, it's, it's again, it depends on uh, the stages um, that the condition is at. If it's early stages of one or two and the patient is a younger patient, they tend to um, recover quite well and they can get their rehab done and um, they strengthen the A tendon and they're absolutely fine. But uh, patients who have stage three and four, it's like stage four is um, like 
rare drugs. I mean, like normally that. when they're at stage four, which basically, if if you're listening and you don't understand what these stages mean, it means how bad it is. Um, there is a place for using an ankle brace at this stage to give you a bit more. Um, I find that injection treatment option gives you a window of opportunity for rehab in the early stages. For latter stages, I'm not quite sure. Um, this is where the clinical judgment is very important. I, I tend not to inject these very often. I'll do one a year uh, and I'm very conservative, very, very conservative about injecting this as opposed to some of my other injections. Um, let's move on to the next one. Tarsal tunnel syndrome. Okay. That's your favorite one. I do a lot of tarsal tunnel syndrome. Tarsal tunnel, you get sharp shooting pains into your, into your arch of your foot, into the heel. It's often misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis. Um, but if you, if you go to a podiatrist who, who knows how to assess you, uh, they'll be able to assess you and a tarsal tunnel syndrome uh, is something that responds very, very well to an injection. Um, do you have any comments on that, Tosif? No, um, yeah, absolutely. May a similar experience for me as well that, um, yeah, it, it responds really well to, um, along with other, uh, other treatment modalities as we talked about for all the other conditions. Um, yeah, uh, for me, injection does a fairly good job of it. For me, tarsal tunnel syndrome, I don't even give orthotics generally because I know it's a temporary nerve irritation. Yeah. Unless, unless they've got flat feet. So unless the, the reason why they've got tarsal tunnel syndrome, so it's like trying to, so with like a podiatrist, um, we, we sometimes are like detectives, which we're actually trying to find out why that happened rather than just treat the thing that happened. So if the problem is, if, if the reason why the nerves are rotated is because you've got flat feet or is it because of the way you're running or walking, there's, a, there's an issue going on in your hips or your knees. So we're, we're looking at you from top to bottom um, and trying to see, okay, can we change some musculature further up that will affect the tarsal tunnel? I often say this to patients that poor feet tend to be the weakest part of a chain, but the problem in the chain will be somewhere else and the feet get affected. And this can, be the, if this can be one of the things with any kind of nerve problem and tussle tunnel syndrome, obviously, um, happens a lot. Well, uh, um, on a lighter note, um, you talked about that podiatrists are detectives. Um, I had a patient of mine who came in and um, I think they had uh, plantar fasciopathy or something and uh, um, we were talking and I'm asking them questions or after questions, after questions and uh, now they they say they said to me that they said, uh, Joseph, you are like a detective." And I said, "Am I?" And they said, yes, you are like a detective, and a particular one. And I said, "Which one?" And uh, they said, we you. You, uh, you're like Columbo because Columbo. question. <laughs> they could have chosen any detective. <laughs> they chose Columbo. <laughs> I <laughs> said I would have preferred James Bond. Uh, James Bond's not a detective, he's a secret agent. Okay, I like, I like Sherlock, I like Sherlock Holmes. Um, okay, mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. So, Mr. Tosif, you have done this injection with me. You've assisted me and the video is out there and it's viral. We've had millions of views on it. Um, this is something I do a lot of. It's something that is now um, got a great deal of evidence. So. Mid, uh, mid portion Achilles tendinopathy, I'm just going to move this back 
you'll get pain in your Achilles tendon and it's halfway, let's see if you can see my foot just there. Um, it, it, it's particularly bad when you first wake up in the morning and when you're walking down the steps. Uh, it's very, very important to get diagnosed, make sure you don't have a, you, you don't have a tear there. If you have a tear there, there is other things you can do. With mid-portion with mid Achilles tendinopathy, there's three options. Orthotics, everybody gets. Mm -hmm. After that, shockwave or injection therapy. Most people only do shockwave, okay? Shockwave can be very painful for mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Um, what we're doing with mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy is we're injecting 40 mil of injectable saline, uh, 9 mil of marcaine, and 20 milligrams of dipamedrone injected using ultrasound into the Kager's fat pad. And the idea of this injection is to get rid of the neovascularization that sits within the Kager's fat pad. That allows it to heal. Um, there's some really good evidence regarding Otto Chan. We've got some level one evidence regarding Bolzian. We've done two studies on it. Uh, double-blinded studies which compared it to PRP and to sham treatments and they're brilliant. It's, it's, it is favorable. But um, what I missed out earlier, and I think Tosif's looking at me quite angry, is I should have mentioned rehab. Rehab, rehab, rehab. Rehabilitation, stretching and strengthening. Uh, eccentric, below a step and fast movements are very beneficial for mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Before I speak a bit more about this injection, what's your views on mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy? Well, what I wanted to ask you is that um, you talked about the level one uh, um, studies for the high volume injections. Uh, you've been doing them. I, I, came, I, I came to your clinic and I've assisted you with one. Uh, you've been doing them for a little while. What's your personal, uh, um, what's your personal experience with them? Uh, so I've, I've done many, many, many injections and I've, I don't think I've had one fail on me. So this, mm -hmm. I tend not to do this for patients that have just got initially got Achilles tendinopathy. I will always give them orthotics and exercises. However, if they are not getting better or if they're, if they're an elite athlete, which I see a lot of, and they are preparing for a specific event, then I may, I may shortcut the rehab and I may go to this. Um, the injection is brilliant. As long as they follow my 10 days rehab program that I write down for them post-injection. For the first two or three days, they're doing, they're doing very little. Uh, and then after that, they start a progressive rehabilitation program. And normally, 10 to 12 days, they get back to doing the activity that they like to do. Um, this is also something that needs to, this also, this injection is a very difficult injection. Um, it needs to be done by individuals that uh, have a little bit of experience with them. Um, but that's my experience with high volume injections. Um, what's your experience with, you helped me, how did you get on with that injection? Yeah, I, I found that uh, my personal, uh, looking at what we're actually injecting, normal um, saline, which doesn't really have a lot of, uh, um, any side effects. Marcaine as LA again, uh, <clears throat> Devamedron is the, so the important thing here is that we're not injecting into the tendon, no. not in the, the tendon. Fat in. And the fat so, that guy, that, that, guy yeah. that you did, he mm -hmm. had 
he had mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy for eight years. Eight years. We gave him that injection. Twelve days after that injection, he was running around. No mm -hmm. pain in his... That's, just, that's amazing. And I've, I've got loads of stories like that uh, of patients who've had mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy for a long time. Um, and it can be highly effective if done with the right person. And also, if diagnostically... Um, you are 100% sure it is mid-portion case. And that's where ultrasound uh, comes in to, to have that ability to be able to confirm that diagnosis. So you're not physically just looking at going by the history and uh, subjective and objective assessment. You're looking at it uh, um, yeah. with an ultrasound and uh, you can uh, just confirm the diagnosis, can't you? We are going to, I mean, me and you are going to make a video about this. That's what I'm saying, because this is an it's something that athletes see. We see a lot of athletes with this, and we should make a video in depth talking about mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy. Uh, I, won't, I won't spoil that video too much, but one of the things that you need to watch out for is you can have bulging of the mid-portion of the Achilles tendon, but you can have an intra-substance tear at the same time, or you could have an inflamed bursa, but it gets very complicated. But if you generally have mid-portion Achilles tendinopathy, Orthotics, rehab, first line, second line, shockwave, or high volume injection. In my experience, I like high volume injections, and I think they can be highly effective. Mm -hmm. um, let's move on to the next one. This is something very difficult, and I'm sure Tosif will agree with me. Insertion yeah. Achilles tendinopathy. This is when you get pain right at the bottom here. Uh, often misdiagnosed with plantar fasciitis. Very difficult to treat, very difficult to rehab. Uh, and it's, when, it, when it comes to our clinic, by, by the time they've come to me and Tosif, they've had it for a little while because people yeah. just ignore it and it's chronic now. It's not in the first stages. Um, have you, I mean, I have injected this. Have you ever injected this? I haven't injected it. Uh, a friend of mine who is uh, a physiotherapist, he used to inject them. Um, and uh, But I haven't personally injected it. Given that... Uh, um, the location of the tendinopathy and the space available there is very small and the accuracy that you need to hit is, uh, is quite high. So, so it's not an easy injection as you, no. you said to do. And uh, again, as this is not my first line therapy as a, as a treatment, um, I, I would uh, rely on conservative management before I would think about that. I... Common, common my go-to um, treatment option uh, for insertional anywhere. I I have injected it. It's not my first line treatment. I try and avoid it. Um, I have when I, the people that I have injected, I have had a great deal of success with it. Um, I tend, I may use steroid, but I won't go into the tendon. I'll be injecting behind the tendon. Um, uh, sometimes I use a different therapeutic option. But yeah, you are right. It is, it is a difficult injection to do. It's always ultrasound guided. Um, never ever done this blind. Um, it's a very difficult option to do. Uh, final thoughts. We have come, I don't know how long we've been speaking for there. Uh, does the time fly when you have fun? It's probably been uh, like 45 minutes. Hey, 45 minutes of mine and Tosis. Good luck with the editing of it. Uh, we're not editing nothing. This is, this is the way we're doing it. Final thoughts. Okay. Um, PRP. I do PRP. Do you do PRP? I don't. I'm, I'm, again, this is something which I wanted to discuss with yourselves, that um, I was uh, 
thinking to do the course this summer uh, for PRP, um, but with this COVID-19, COVID um, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it, and I'm going to prioritize our independent prescription as uh, supposed to uh, the PRP. But uh, uh, the results are uh, encouraging, the research coming up uh, with PRP for intra-articular, especially inside the joint, is uh, looking good. Um, I think uh, it's uh, the issues come with PRP is that the equipment required that that's fairly um, expensive and then uh, taking the blood that that's one of my key biggest uh, um, bugbears. Uh, <laughs> no, let, let me just explain to people because you might be thinking what those is talking about. Now with PRP it's called platelet-rich plasma treatment. Yeah. What we do is we take blood from the patient um, carefully, gently. Um, and we put that we put that into a special test tube, and that is used. Then we spin that in a centrifuge for ten to fifteen minutes. We then take that out, and then we remove the poor plasma, and then we uh, remove the platelet-rich plasma, and we inject that in to the injured site. Now I use PRP for a variety of different things, and I I get I have a great deal of success with it. So I use it for knee injections a lot. Because um, if you're a member of the ISCP, you can do knee injections. And I have used it for tendinopathies. I think it's the safest thing to inject into a tendon, actually. Um, yeah, from the safety point of view, I think it is uh, very safe. I think what stopped me is, um, is the ability to A, do the course. I am a SOCAP man, uh, member, uh, College of Podiatry member, so I don't, um, I, I don't think I'll be um, insured um, straight away. Then, so you, need to, then you need to see the light. You need to see the light and move away, which is what I did after 15 years. Um, I, a stumbling block. Stumbling block. Look, I I went to a couple of courses to learn how to take blood, so I'm I'm really comfortable with taking blood now, um, and it's it's something that I find a really useful option. Okay, so it's not necessarily I use it with every patient, but we will we're like um people with a toolbox we have a large toolbox we have many tools within with uh, within that toolbox and it's dependent upon what we need prolotherapy is a mixture of glucose with local anesthetic can be there's some great great results there's there's been some great studies done on um, on plantar fasciitis heel pain and prolotherapy injections there's been a great paper done on on knee osteoarthritis and the use of prolotherapy injections really safe unless you're a diabetic because then we wouldn't do it to you uh biotherapy education z uh, zeal and guna great um duralane i don't use but i know some other people that use it uh knee injections i do a lot of i know you don't do it yet but uh as i said i think i'm i'm gonna like convert you to iocp i'm working on it very slowly do we have any other final thoughts regarding injection treatment no i think i think we've covered um pretty much in depth with regards to the conditions we treat with the um, injections and the type of injections uh, um, we use. Um, and it's very specific and individual to every individual patient that we see uh, who is suitable, when is it suitable for them, um, rather than uh, doing it uh, blindly, I would say. Um, so yeah, I think, I think uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a good talk. Well, thank you very much for, this is our first video, by the way, that we're going to make live. Um, we're going to make 
many, many more videos because we're in lockdown and we got nothing better to do with our lives than educate people about certain things. Uh, we should we should, we should call this TV program something. We should give it a name. Like we should give it like 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 the two Ronnies or little little and large or 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 the two handsome Asian men, <laughs> Asian podiatrists. We should call it a name. Sherlock uh, for me, Sherlock. Colombo and Sherlock. <laughs> Sherlock and Colombo. <laughs> um, but yeah, this. I mean, I hope hope those that have watched this have found it useful. Um, if you have any questions, drop uh, wherever this is being placed, because it's going to be on my Facebook page and Tosi's Facebook page. Uh, drop us a message on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you find us, um, and um, ask us a question. I mean, look, we, we're very open regarding advice. You know, we don't mind giving out advice. We're not going to charge you for advice via email or message. Uh, Tosif might because you know uh, he's got he's got he's like a million pound uh, uh, car and yacht and and aeroplane that he's got to maintain. No, you Tosif. Of course I do. Um, they have to be paid uh, one way or another. Didn't they? <laughs> uh, you know, okay, thank you very much. I'm gonna stop the screen share. Oh, there you go. And uh, and I'm gonna stop the recording. Thank you. <laughs>